Welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind. My name is Robert Lamb. And I'm Julie Douglas. Julie, where are the aliens? Where are they? They are hiding in plain sight. Like, like where? Like, like in this room? Um, well, no, not this room, but yeah. somewhere out there in the universe. Okay. Because right? if they were in here, they could be, I mean, I guess they could be in the recording booth there, which is the, I mean, we're in the, the sort of the podcast chamber, and then there's like this soundproof booth at the end that kind of looks like a, uh, like a phone booth, and I can't really see inside it. So there could be an alien in there. Well, there could be like nano-sized aliens, like enmeshed in this, in the foam. Yeah. Batting. But. Around us. But could they be out there? You're saying they could be out there, like their whole planets could be hidden, their whole civilizations could be yes. hidden, their presence in in the the universe could be hidden from us. And so the whole reason that we haven't found aliens mm-hmm. could be because we just cannot see them. That's right. It's okay. a possibility. SETI, have you looked into this? Yes, they have. I don't <laughs> think they've found anything yet. Uh, I don't know if they're doing much looking at the moment uh, without the funding and all, but. Um, but yeah, so uh, what does this have to do with the Dyson sphere? Uh, it's nothing to do with vacuums. Not yeah. That's every time I mentioned this podcast to my wife, she was like, "Oh, you're doing what I'm back." I mean, she was uh, joking. With well, me, that's but. what an intriguing product. Yeah. that is so and the inventor yeah. that that everybody thinks about this Dyson dude. Yes, yeah. but, but it's not about that. No, not about that at all. The Dyson sphere is one of those things that. I imagine a lot of you do not need any explanation at all. You're like, yeah, totally Dyson Sphere. I know what the concept is. But uh, it is uh, it, it has shown up in various sci-fi works. So like it, like anyone who's ever watched like Star Trek Next Generation probably has seen one or you've read enough sci-fi books. But for the rest of you, it is basically the, the concept of, all right, we have the sun. And the sun is just this giant generator of energy. Yep. Like our entire solar system is powered by the sun. So – how would one harness the energy of the sun if you wanted to greedily take all of it up? If you wanted to be like my sister, uh, when my family used to go out to, to, to have Mexican food for my one sister would order the cheese dip mm-hmm. and then we would try and eat the cheese dip and she would say, no, no, this is my cheese dip because I ordered this cheese dip as my meal. And so only I get to eat it. So if you were going to have that, take that attitude and, uh, and use it on the sun, mm-hmm. how would you collect all of it and make sure that you greedily, um, <laughs> uh, hit, Dipped all of the solar energy up on your chips for yourself. And I was an alien. And you were an alien. I would lasso it. You were okay. If you were an alien in my spaceship and and take it with me, or I would construct a giant shell around it. Exactly. There you go. Giant shell around it that uh, where the interior of the shell absorbs the energy Mm -hmm. and doesn't let anything escape, so that nobody else gets to enjoy the sun. And, uh, and all its uh, benefits. Cheese dip for all Cheese dip. aliens and only aliens. Right. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, this is this idea of this Dyson sphere. Yeah. Sort of. I mean, this sort is of. an interpretation yeah, of it, the, right? Yeah, this whole podcast is going to be us getting a little deeper into the idea, what it means. But first, why don't we call it a Dyson sphere? What's the Dyson part? We're, of course, talking about a man by the name of Freeman Dyson, who is uh, a pretty amazing guy. Uh, he's uh, still He's still with us. He's 87 years old. And uh, he was something of a mathematics uh, prodigy. Mm-hmm. Um, he, uh, you know, a, a British uh, extract came came here at the age of like twenty three, yep. and was like um, immediately contributing, uh, like in major ways, to our understanding of physics, uh, unifying quantum and uh, and electrodynamic theory. Mm-hmm. And he he really, I mean, he's been there through some through 
through the development of modern physics, yeah, really. Yeah, yeah, some, some very exciting developments. Yeah, hanging out with Einstein, uh, Feynman, Bohr, uh, Fermi, uh, Oppenheimer. I mean, the, the list goes on. Uh, and he's, and, and he's still just this sharp, incredible mind. Yeah, he's an incredible thinker. And Oliver Sacks is a good friend of his and says, like, that his, the plasticity of mind is amazing. Yeah. And the fact that he, he can still think so vitally at this age and have so many interesting ideas is pretty incredible when most 20 year olds are walking around with probably less, yeah. less imagination and, um, and not just imagination, but I mean, this is someone who is made huge contributions to his field. Yeah. And, uh, and was influenced by sci-fi and, uh, yeah. you know, grew up, you know, reading about spaceships. And he, as a boy, he sketched plans for a rocket ship, mm-hmm. uh, that would, uh, you know, explore the, the universe. And then when he, uh, we got older, he actually worked on the, uh, the Orion project, which, uh, I've blogged about in the past. I can't remember if we've mentioned it. Uh, we may have mentioned it on, on a previous podcast, at least mm-hmm. in passing, but the project Orion was, uh, was going to, uh, uh, be powered by, nuclear detonations like imagine a spaceship where every time instead of like having like a thruster blast coming out the back right imagine some dude standing in the back of it and just pitching uh, an atomic bomb out every time they needed to to blast forward a little bit now imagine how awful that would be for us earthlings yeah like basically for the ship to leave the planet you would have to uh have um, like multiple atomic detonations and then just steady uh atomic detonations to to fly this thing around but at the time but there was a time when this was like whoa when before we realized how environmentally disastrous this concept was it was like well this could work it's an actual solution it was an actual solution and uh um, and Dyson was one of these guys that was like, yeah, we can, we can totally do this. We can build this and we'll be you know, exploring, uh, we'll be flying out to Saturn within like two decades. So he's, he, he has a great futurist mind. Mm-hmm. Um, and when, when he's uh, handed a problem, he's great at tackling it and figuring out, well, let me, let me take, take a shot at that. So yeah. he took a shot at this question that we, uh, sort of fumbled with at the very beginning of this podcast. Where are the aliens? If there yeah. is alien life elsewhere in the universe, why have we not seen it? And, and for him, it's it's because they're all hiding out in this sphere, right? Right. But not in, in a sense of like, oh, there are humans out there. Let's not let them see us. <laughs> Let's get, get behind the, these. No, it comes down to 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 uh, to energy. All right. And uh, we should probably just mention briefly the uh, Kardashev scale, which is the. Um, it's not the Kardashian scale, by no, the way. It, yeah. I, yeah I'm not Kardashev. sure what that would entail, but I'm sure it would be. It dreadful. would entail. Something. Yeah. Uh, basically, it comes into to uh, in, it comes immediately into this idea of let's look for alien life el- elsewhere in the universe. Mm-hmm. What would it look like? How would we tell that it's there? And uh, there's a, the the theory is that it would come down to energy consumption. So the scale divides civilizations into three basic types. There's a type one civilization, and I should point out that we are not yet a type one civilization. But, right. You have to master this level of right. energy. Uh, consumption and harnessing, right? Yeah, in order is, to, to yeah. be a type one. Yeah, it's like Dungeons and Dragons. You know, it's like you're you're leveling up. You know, to uh, you're right now you're a, a level zero um, halfling thief. Right. But if you get enough experience points, then you get to level one, and that comes with new benefits. And this would be your your own planet, right? Type one. So if yeah. if type I were one going to master are masters of planetary energy. Yes. Means they can harness the sum energy of an entire world. Mm-hmm. So we're not there yet. There's a lot of energy that we can't master, uh, that we can't, uh, uh, that we haven't figured out how to how to use, and uh, and so we're not there yet. Right. 
Then there's a type two civilization and they can summon the power of an entire star system. So basically they can enslave a star. They can take a star and claim it as their own cheese dip. <laughs> and then a type three civilization uh, commands the energy on a galactic scale. All right. So they can, they control a lot of cheese dip, an enormous amount of cheese dip and are, right. and are, and are using a kind of technology that we can barely fathom. Like it's beyond our, our real understanding of how it might even work. Right. So a lot of what we're talking about is type, what we're going to be talking about in this uh, podcast is type two, uh, technology, but, uh, but some of it is, is conceivably type one as well. So it would make sense that a type two civilization, like an alien civilization, uh, which is a bit more complex than us, a lot more complex, would be able to construct this sphere, right? Yeah, yeah. The idea that that um, the Dyson had was, all right, if there are type two civilizations out there, what should we look for? All right, well, all right, they're harnessing all this energy. They have to use all this energy to to power their civilization, mm-hmm. to power their um, their interstellar transportation. How are they going to harness the energy of a star? And this was a scheme that he came up with. It basically comes down to um, to the to the idea of of just completely surrounding a sun with uh, energy collectors. Mm-hmm. All right. Now, don't think of uh, I, I've, I've sort of avoided talking about the sci-fi uh, stuff, but I should probably mention it now. Uh, most people, I think, have encountered the Dyson sphere on one episode of uh, Star Trek: The Next Generation, right? Called I think the Relic. And it had like the dude who played Scotty was in it. That's, I mean, it's been like a decade since I've seen it. All I remember that there was a Dyson sphere. It was awesome because mm-hmm. it was like this giant metal thing and you flew through it. The Enterprise flies through a door in it. Right. And on the inside, there is a sun and there are like continents and cities all on the interior of this giant, uh, this giant sphere. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, okay. See, this is where it gets murky because as you said, Dyson is someone who can actually create real um, solutions to problems. Right. And so here's this Dyson sphere that he actually is trying to create to not only explain aliens, but also saying, how can we actually harness the the star here and all the energy? We can put these collectors around it. Mm-hmm. So there, there are some actual real applications and, and something that might be able to be done. Yeah, uh, some version of it, stuff, yeah. right? Um, but then it's also butting up against sci-fi, right? And yeah. um, it one is begetted by the other because if you look at Dyson's vision here, it's based on a sci-fi model. Yeah, like Dyson, <laughs> so it's very confusing. Yeah, Dyson himself says, "Oh, you should really call it like a Stapledon um, uh, sphere," because right. he was inspired by a book called a book uh, by the name of Star Maker. Uh, by Olaf Staples, uh, uh, Stapledon, which was written in 1937. So a lot of people encountered the Star Trek thing, which is neat in its own in its own way, or yeah. they've encountered it in in various other books. Uh, but uh, but the original uh, idea was was basically the idea of a lot of independent solar collectors mm-hmm. um, in orbit around a sun to the point where it almost blocked out. Right, like a hundred thousand right. of these collectors in orbit. Right. If you've seen, like, if you've seen the movie Wally, and and when Wally leaves the planet uh, and the spaceship, mm-hmm. the, the Earth is just choked by satellites. Right. Like, right. imagine that kind of situation, except uh, multiplied and uh, and surrounding a star. Well, and some people would even say that a satellite is sort of this first step. Right. To doing this anyway, yeah. um, and that there are multiple ways to try to play this out if we wanted to. Yeah. Um, but so we should probably discuss the different types of spheres. Um, it, you know, the, the sci-fi one that most people know, um, which is the type two, the one with the shell around it. Yeah. And talk about what is feasible and what's not. 
Yeah. So the, the swarm one is pretty, uh, the, the one we're talking about where it's like a lot of, um, independent pieces, mm-hmm. uh, which is sometimes called a Dyson swarm. Also type one, right? Also type one. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and, and the, the other thing about this is there's a lot of, uh, a, a lot of, uh, our dealings with the, with the Dyson sphere are kind of as, a just imagineering as a thought experiment is kind of a, uh, you see physicists online who are just kind of, huh, I wonder how this would work. And they start crunching the numbers on it. Cause right. it's, you know, it's kind of amazing and it's a cool thing to, to do in your spare time. <laughs> so there are a lot of different. No Sudoku, just, yeah, you know, just DYI your own sphere. Yeah. Your own cosmic, uh, uh, mega architecture. But, um, but yeah, so if you're going for something rigid though, an actual like giant eggshell surrounding a sun. Like the Star Trek one. Like the Star Trek one. Um, yeah, that's a slightly different thing because when you're dealing with like the gravitational, uh, effects of having all these little satellites around the sun, mm-hmm. it's just these independent little things that are affected, right? It's a swarm. Right. But if you're talking about one giant structure, you're talking about one enormous structure. I mean, it's going to be, um, like one or two astronomical units wide. An astronomical unit is the distance between the earth and the sun. Um, well, We're and talking it, huge. Yeah, yeah, and it captures our imagination because there's this idea that you could create out of this shell land, so to speak, yeah. or habitable areas that would greatly outnumber the amount of land that we have here on Earth. and that and On the interior, like a hollow Earth kind of a thing. Yes, yeah. yeah. And uh, I actually had to draw several pictures of this to sort of cement it in my mind. Yeah, because you hadn't seen the Star Trek episode, so you didn't have the, no, the model no. in your head. No, no. But I still was thinking to myself what area is going to be habitable and mm-hmm. what areas are going to have gravity and what aren't. Um, yeah, so, because if that sphere surrounding the sun was mm-hmm. not spinning, um, you know, there's not going to be any real – I mean, there's there might be – depending on the mass – of the of the actual structure, right? There might be some gravity, but but ultimately you you would need either artificial gravity, which does not exist, and mm-hmm. some by, according to some cannot exist, or you're going to need that thing to spin to create uh, the, to rotate to create the kind of uh, forces necessary for people to live on the inside of it. Right, and the other cool part about this too is that it it really could be hospitable in the sense that if you are to enclose a star, you would actually have. The sort of temperatures that, like room temperature, that you enjoy now, mm-hmm. um, you might not have gravity unless you're rotating. <laughs> but yeah. you would have, and then perhaps only at the equator. Yes, yeah. yes, exactly. So if you're going to enclose this thing and um, you're going to do it right, then you're probably going to have a structure that's really heavy, right? Mm-hmm. And it's gonna, it's, you're also going to want to rotate it, and it's going to have to withstand the force of the rotation, right? Right. So that's where a lot of the problems come into. I mean, this is. A, Again, it's a very interesting thought experiment, but we don't currently have the materials that could actually do this, that, uh, that could withstand the rotation. Yeah, and then what if an asteroid hits it, right? Yeah, you get knocked off center. All of a sudden, you're colliding with the with the sun itself and, right. and melting. Yeah, that's no good. That that does nobody any good. Yeah, but that would make a really great Bruce Willis film right there, I think. Where he has to save the Dyson Sphere? Yeah. Don't you think? You just see him hurling toward the I sun? Just, I just think if you're a civilization capable of building a Dyson Sphere, Bruce Willis is probably not ranked too highly in your uh, your backup plans if things go wrong. I mean, it seems like you probably have something more impressive to turn to. I don't know. Do you Talk to Jerry Bruckheimer. Uh-huh. Um, the other thing is you would have no night, right? Right. Yeah. So. Unless you had... Yes, some sort of scheme in mind. Um, which, which reminds me, uh, I believe, you know, we're talking about like only the, uh, this, uh, the slim center of it would be, um, habitable. Right. Which kind of leads to the idea of a ring world, uh, like the Larry Niven, uh, 
uh, invented uh, concept, uh, which would be uh, kind of like a Dyson sphere, but instead of it being a giant circle that mm-hmm. encloses a star, it would be like a tire, uh, like an artificial rings of Saturn kind of situation, right. um, where you'd still have people on the inside, but it would just be like the inside of a wheel, uh, like like it, imagine a spare tire. Mm-hmm. And there's a sun in the middle. Yeah. And then there are cities all up in the inside of the tire. Okay. Like, I like that. I've also heard it uh, explained sort of like a canister too, right? So you're capped off and then, yeah, again, yeah, yeah, in the yeah. center yeah. where it's habitable. And this, again, is because you've got the gravitational effects are, are, are optimal at the sort of equator line yeah. of this area. At the poles, you would have virtually no gravity whatsoever. Yeah. So... Yeah, and again, there's the asteroid problem. Yeah, <laughs> but this is the this is the sci-fi uh, configuration that we're talking about. This this other one, the Dyson one, would just go back to really quickly. Again, you've got these stationary or not stationary, but you've got these orbiting collectors mm-hmm. of energy, and that actually could be used uh, in the future. You could store it as antimatter. Mm-hmm. Um, there, you know, there there are things you could do with this. Yeah, and the thing is, you would you would collect all this energy with all these satellites. And then in this scenario, you would beam that to another uh, ha- uh, habitable space station or ship mm-hmm. or, or even a planet. Um, so that's how that system would work. It would not be people necessarily living in each of the, all these little right. things uh, orbiting the sun. Which would be kind of cool in yeah. and of itself. But yeah, yeah. I mean, it's kind of like there's some arguments saying that we should have solar harvesters on the moon and then beam the energy back to yeah. our planet. Uh, it's kind of the same concepts in play here. Yeah, but of course, the problem is we haven't even mastered our type one civilization yet. Yeah. And that's, we are really talking about a type two civilization here. Right. And there's some even more advanced, um, like ideas there. Like I've, I've seen some, uh, some proposals for a, like a type three, um, Dyson sphere, which would, would can use even thinner materials. Um, and would, uh, it would be kind of like a big bubble. Yeah. Around it. Yeah. Um, I've seen like really advanced, uh, concepts. I mean, this would definitely be a type three, uh, for the, um, shock of uh, thruster concept, which uh, would involve like basically the the star, like the structure around a star mm-hmm. becomes a spaceship and just takes a star with it. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. So like again, but that's just crazy advanced future. Uh, no, yeah, yeah. I'm just, but, I'm trying to, yeah, yeah that's yeah. not really scaring in my head right now, I have yeah. to say. But I do think it's an interesting proposition about the aliens, uh, not because I believe that we have aliens roaming around. In the universe, uh, per se, uh, little green men in mm-hmm. that, in that scenario. But what I do think is interesting is that people have brought this up as an explanation for dark matter. And we'll get to that after this quick break. This presentation is brought to you by Intel, sponsors of tomorrow. And we're back. Okay. Dark matter. Dark matter. Hit us with it. It's a problem for us, right? right? Because there's a bunch of it. We don't know what it is. We know that it's uh, composing something like 95% of, of, of the universe, and yet we can't see it, but we know just with our ma- mathematical equations that it's there. Right. So people have said, okay, if it's perhaps the, the, the situation here, the crux of it is that these aliens who are, you know, type two, type three civilizations have you know, created so many different Dyson spheres that it's all being contained in there. Oh, huh. like the the universe is just more developed than we thought. Yeah, yeah, and we just can't spot it. Like you know, there's a there's a gazillion of these Dyson spheres out there. It's like the sprawl, right? Yes, it's uh, like yeah, it's, it's just like alien exurban mini malls everywhere. Exactly, exactly, enclosed in the structure. Right. Um, 
And it really is an intriguing idea, but there are a couple of reasons why it just couldn't be. I'm sorry to say. Well, one of the big ones, of course, is just the amount of materials required, uh, especially yeah. when you start talking about the solid enclosure. Cause e- but even the satellites, to, to build that many satellites, I mean, the sun is huge, guys. It's uh, it's, <laughs> it's tremendous. Most stars are enormous, and, and ours isn't even particularly enormous sun. Right. Um, I mean, th- there, there's, there would be a problem just getting enough materials out of our own solar system to, to build this sort of right. thing. Right. There aren't enough heavy materials right. in the universe to actually construct the amount of Dyson spheres that you would need to house all of these aliens hiding out and, and hoarding the dark energy. Yeah. It's like the what dark you, matter. And what are you building it for? If uh, Yeah. You know? Yeah. So, but I, again, it's very clever uh, idea that they might be doing that. And then there's the fact that we could still detect a, a Dyson sphere because it would be radiating heat, right? Yeah. They would have to be jetting some radiation. Yeah. You know? I mean, it, it, it can only be self-contained to a certain point. Uh, as far as physics go, they were, they would, would have to be able to detect it. So, I mean, that was the, uh, back to Dyson's original argument. Like it, he was just saying, we haven't seen aliens. Well, maybe this is what we should look for because this is what their energy collection might be like right. given sufficiently advanced technology. And, and so, uh, you know, SETI looked for it a, a few times, you know, and, uh, and they didn't see it. I mean, so we followed up on Dyson's idea and we're like, no, well, we don't really see Dyson spheres. Um, and uh, and Dyson didn't have. I mean, he's. I've seen interviews where he's kind of dismissive of the whole thing too. You know, he's just kind of like, oh yeah, Dyson spheres. I did that. But uh, <laughs> yeah, he's like, that was this thought that I had on a Sunday afternoon. Yeah, yeah. That I put on paper. So it's not like he was disappointed that there, that we haven't found a Dyson sphere yet. Right. But the, the the concept continues to really resonate with everyone. I mean, besides the fact that it's just a really awesome idea, uh, it's it's like the modern or like the space age Tower of Babel. You know, the, the Tower of Babel, the old, uh, you know, Bible story mm-hmm. idea of the, of early man became, became so pompous in their technological prowess that they built, they were building this tower that would, that would actually, that would touch the sky, that would, that would rival, um, heaven, that, uh, you'd be able to, that the crews working on it would be able to shoot arrows in the air and wing angels and watch them plummet to the ground, you know? That it was just, just an, mean. yeah, that it, but it was just an offense to God and it was about how awesome man was. Right. And so, you know, we build towers like that every day now, so it's no big deal. But, uh, but, but what's the space age, um, version of that? It would be, what if we built something so big and so awesome that we could fit the sun in it? Like that's, <laughs> that's just, that's just like, we're just up in the game in terms of, uh, of what's the most pompous thing we could possibly do with technology. You know, we could build a shell around the sun and then keep it for ourselves. But see, that's what I think is so Eat awesome about it too, because it shows this level of creativity. We cannot yes. stop imagining for ourselves going beyond the boundaries that that we know or suspect are there. Yeah. And that's the thing. It's interesting to think about because in terms of because you could you could come up with more grandiose ideas like what if I built a giant steel egg and put the entire solar system in it? All right. Well, that's grandiose, but it's that's that's beyond the pale. Um, Whereas the idea of building a Dyson sphere is is advanced. You know, mm-hmm. and it's certainly pushing the limits of what's possible in terms of matter within our own solar system. But it's it's conceivable. We can say like, well, yes, that could possibly be. And so it's it's, yeah. it's interesting yeah. to sit around and do the math and and, uh, and 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 also just envision what it would be like to encounter it. Yeah. Dyson's an interesting cat. Um, I remember looking up 
some stuff for another podcast, uh, doing some research, and there was an article in Slate, and he was... Was that for this podcast or the mom no, podcast? Uh, no, not for the mom podcast. Okay. Um, Cause, yeah, because at the mom podcast, <laughs> we are always talking about uh, phys- uh, theoretical physicists. Um, but uh, but anyway, he he was talking in an article in Slate, he was actually asked what our descendants could possibly look like trillion years from now, when the stars have disappeared and the universe is dark and freezing. And so diffuse that it's practically empty. Uh-huh. This is from the article. And he said, the most plausible answer is that conscious life will take the form of interstellar dust clouds. So for him, consciousness is just a bunch of charged particles hanging out in a dust cloud. And he actually thinks that our consciousness will merge into one great mind and actually be able to transcend the locality wow. of, of the physicality, really. See, that's beautiful. Of ourselves. I know. I, like I really think that he's a very um, exciting thinker. Yeah. I think that he's a thinker that I like thinking about. Well, excellent. Um, give so, me some, give me some mail to think about. Okay, yeah, yeah. Let's move on. Let's let's exit the Dyson sphere and see what we have uh, from our listeners. Uh, here is a bit of listener mail from a listener by the name of Zach Z A K. He says, uh, "Hi, stuff to blow your mind, crew. I just got the How Stuff Works app, which is available for various uh, various platforms now." Um, definitely check that out and have started listening to your podcast. I really enjoy it, uh, but have uh, noticed that you don't have many podcasts on space propulsion. I would love a podcast on realistic deep space propulsion, i.e. warp drive or hyperspace or any other ideas floating around out there. Great show. Keep it up. Um, did we do one on solar sails or am I? We did do one on yeah. solar sails. Uh, so yes, I checked that out. Yeah, and... that's definitely space propulsion. Did we do one on warp? Uh, no. No. I don't I, believe we did. I wrote some articles on Warp, so maybe I could brush up and we could do an episode on Warp. And the solar cells, I think we talk about the the uh, the nuclear warheads, too, as, as a means of propulsion. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, so yeah, uh, go back through the um, through the catalog. We we have touched on some space propulsion, but there are a number of cool concepts we, uh, we haven't. Um, and this is kind of tied to it's not so much propulsion, but it's definitely in the same field as some of these uh, these uh, these ideas about uh, um, of uh, t- taking science by the horns and using it to conquer the galaxy. Um, here's another one. This one is from Eric. Eric writes: A few years ago, my local pa- paper, uh, Rio Vista, California, about 20 miles northeast of San Francisco, um, wrote a headline that began: A man walks into an an Isleton bar with a porcupine. Uh, Isleton is right across the river from Rio Vista. This sounds like the intro into yet another joke, but it really happened. Apparently, the, another patron of the bar was unhappy uh, with this probably upset animal being there, and he and the porcupine owner began to fight. Uh, when police arrived, the porcupine <laughs> owner fled on his motorcycle and led police on a, sh- on a high-speed chase over the winding levee roads. Uh, the man crashed and was arrested, but the fate of the porcupine was unknown. Uh, indeed, there is so much wonderful and wrong with that story. And, and it's it's great that he brought up headlines, though, because as we talked about in our laughter podcast, which he's responding to here, um, laughter and humor, uh, you know, uh, a lot of it comes down to this idea of the benign mm-hmm. and, and the violation, but also to like absurd parallels. And there's there's a classic saying about headlines uh, that dog bites man is not a good headline. Because that's very natural, you know. That's the the natural that perception of things that would happen. But uh, man bites dog. That's a headline that gets our attention because it's it's in a way it's humorous because it's turning everything on its head. Right. And so, 
It's um, getting you by the pants. Yeah, so it's, it's pantsing like, you. It's, it is pantsing you. <laughs> and as a, a former newspaper person myself, I I, I really love a good uh, juicy headline like that that uh, that that plays with your uh, your expectations mm-hmm. that uh, that turns words around on themselves. Uh, and uh, yeah, and any time that you can get a sort of man bites dog effect in a headline, it's it's instantly kind of funny. But also, you're like, well, I've got to know how that happened. I got to know what happened to this porcupine. I, it was you know never explained. Sheesh. One of the, the that's the other Is thing that, about newspapers like the they never follow it up. Oh you know? uh, yeah, I know, I know. I don't know. It, it's news when the porcupine does something wrong. But what, what about when the, the porcupine's exonerated? Doesn't make the headlines at all. No, it doesn't. Porcupine exonerated. Well, that would be a good headline, but. Anyway, time walks away, lives a normal life. Yeah, that's not a story. Yeah. So, hey, if you have anything to share with us, uh, if you have thoughts about Dyson Spheres or want to point out any of the numerous uh, examples of uh, Dyson Spheres and other cosmic megastructures from science fiction, uh, let us know. We would love to read uh, some listener mail about that on the podcast. And you can find us, by the way, on Facebook and Twitter. We have accounts on both of those. We are Blow the Mind. Uh, look us up. Uh, like us. Uh, follow us, all that, and you will be rewarded with links to all sorts of cool stuff. And don't forget to email us at blowthemind at howstuffworks.com. Be sure to check out our new video podcast, Stuff from the Future. Join HowStuffWorks staff as we explore the most promising and perplexing possibilities of tomorrow. Tomorrow.